Hey everyone, welcome back to Teenager Therapy. I'm Gael. I'm Isaac. I'm Kayla. And I'm Thomas. And in this episode, we have Deja Fox. Now, hold up. Here's the thing. The audio in the beginning got corrupted. So sadly, um, we didn't catch her intro. But Deja is an activist and organizer, a badass, a future president of the United States. And she's basically just a super involved person. She's super cool, has done so much and accomplished so much. And she's only 19 years old. So here's the interview we did with her. She's incredible. Uh, we'll see what we could recover from it. But hope you enjoy. Students like me, they weren't trained to notice the signs, right? When I had in my freshman year, first period, 23 absences or something, someone should have noticed that there was that something was not right. Um but no one, no one ever hit, saw those flags. No one ever stepped in to make a difference. Um, and it wasn't until I was really willing to step forward and share that myself um, that I was able to find a counselor who really invested in me deeply um, and saw me as a whole person beyond just my life as a student. Um, and yeah, so I think one of my biggest struggles was finding uh, advisors and teachers who were able to understand where I was coming from um, and work with me uh, to make sure that my potential was being reached in and out of the classroom. Uh, but also there were so many other struggles, like the struggle uh, to pretend that it, you know, to fit in and pretend that this wasn't happening. Um, and that was something I only overcame through the power of storytelling and through activism, being able to get up in front of my school board and tell them that I was struggling with homelessness and it was affecting my ability um, in the classroom and around sex education. Um, and using that piece of my story to create change was what gave me power um, in that story and allowed me to reclaim the power of that narrative um, that I've been so conditioned to hide. Um, so yeah, it's something that was really tough, especially around uh, dealing with teachers and advisors who weren't trained to help students like me, but uh, I found a lot of power in that narrative as I stepped into my activism space and owned that experience. Right. And how long uh, How long did that last? Um, homelessness? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think with hidden homelessness, it's sort of hard to tell, right? Um, there were so many different... It's so um, unique. And uh, it, it's sort of one of those things where it doesn't have a clean start and a clean finish, right? Mm -hmm. So there was times where I was bouncing around with a really unstable living situation. Um, and then there was times where I had a more stable living situation, living with my boyfriend and his family. Um, but then there were also times where my mom, my biological mom, maybe was living somewhere. Maybe she was living with a boyfriend. Maybe she wasn't living anywhere stable at all. And I was paying to put her up in a motel every night. Um, and so I couldn't give you a clean uh, start and end date. Um, and I think that that's one of the functions of hidden homelessness is it's really sort of this ambiguous thing where some days are more stable than others. Right. Um, though I can say that now I'm blessed um, to be financially stable, to have signed my very first lease all on my own in a beautiful apartment in Baltimore. Um, thank you. I'm very proud to have done it. Um, and it was really a special experience. Uh, my mom recently came and visited um, for Thanksgiving, uh, and it was really special to be able to welcome her into my home. Um, 
and know that I'm able to provide for me and her um, and provide a life that has so much, that's characterized by so much stability. Um, but I would even say, you know, something that people, I think, often mistake is that hidden homelessness ends when you get to college, right? But when I moved to New York, I moved there for a shoot. I'd gotten a flight to New York. I was in a fashion week thing. Um, and it was a week before classes started. And I didn't really have money to buy a plane ticket to New York anyway. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to stay in New York. But the problem was, it was a week before class started. So I didn't have a place to stay. They wouldn't allow me to move in my dorm early. Um, and so I moved to New York with no place to stay, with the aim of starting at Columbia in just a week. Uh, and I ended up staying with a woman I'd never met, who I'd had one phone call with, who did quality evaluation on the El Rio Reproductive Health Access Project and who was kind enough to let me stay on her couch for a week, who I'm still very good friends with. Um, but you know what, what I mean to say is that um, I think people often think that college acceptance is sort of the end. It's the end all be all of this story of struggle and it's not. Um, there's still so many aspects in which the housing insecurity that characterized so much of my early teens still affects me today as I'm entering my 20s. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so you had your your first kind of most well-known moment was that town hall meeting with the, right. with the senator, right? What, uh, what right. happened there? Yeah. Um, so I like to preface the story with the understanding that I had been doing this work. I had been organizing around comprehensive sex education since I was 15. Um, and I was 16 when the Jeff Blake moment happened. I had been to trainings. I learned how to tell your story effectively. I learned what bird dogging was. It was, you know, I was deep in this fight already. Um, and also, I did. It was a two-hour drive to that town hall, and it was an organizer who brought me. Um, and so, that was sort of all that led up to this moment. It was also, you can imagine, it was 2017, just after Trump's election. The ACA was under attack. Funding yeah. for Planned Parenthood was under attack. It was a really pivotal moment um, for people like me who relied on so many of these services for our basic health care. Um, and so I mobilized the training that I had. I stood in line at his town hall, 45 minutes uh, to ask a question, although all you see in the clip, obviously, is like two minutes of um, action. Uh, I waited in line 45 minutes and sort of thought through the way that I could frame my story, frame my narrative to make it most impactful. Um, and a fellow organizer was recording to make sure that we could amplify on social to really create a wave and put pressure. Um, and it was, it was organizing through and through, you know what I mean? Um, and when I got up there, I had the moment to ask him how he is a white privileged man can make decisions about my body as a young woman of color who didn't have parents in her life. Um, and he gave me this sort of like mushy response about how he supports um, policies that support the American dream. And I continued by asking him how and why he would deny me the American dream. Um, and I look back on that a lot now, thinking about how I've achieved higher education and how that wouldn't have uh, been a possibility for me, likely, had I not had access to birth control through Title X and how um, politicians like him were so incredibly out of touch with constituents like me who were living the realities of the policies they were implementing every day. So like, were you always a good public speaker? Like, were you? Oh, that's a great question. Person? Yeah. Um, my very first time sort of like public speaking um, and like sharing my story publicly was 
in my sophomore year when I stood in front of my school board members, the very first school board meeting I went to to talk to them about comprehensive sex education and community call. Anyone could get up and talk, um, any community member, but you only had two minutes and there was this little countdown. And I had written everything I wanted to say on a post-it note and I was visibly shaking um, and audibly you could hear my my voice quivering too um, as I told my story. And I can't say that it was good. I don't think I did a good job, a concise job. I don't think I was as articulate, you know, as I am now, obviously. But I was uncomfortable for sure. And I was pushing myself um, to share that story. It was the first time I'd ever done it. Um, And with practice, going to more and more school board meetings, um, doing media interviews, sharing my story with other students, asking them to come along with me sharing my story with community members when I met up with them, meeting separately with school board members and sharing with them one-on-one. I got better and better at telling my story, owning my experience and stepping into my power. Um, And now obviously um, public speaking is something that energizes me. Being able to share my story um, is one of the blessings of the work that I do. Um, And it's, it's sort of one of my, I think, great talents. Um, that I'm able to share and it's something that I've developed over time it's not something that's natural to me I'm actually quite the introvert Mm -hmm. Um, but it was by continually pushing myself to do what was uncomfortable but not unsafe continually pushing myself to share more details of my life and my story um, that were maybe a little bit uncomfortable but that I knew could be my superpower if I just could bring myself to the courage to share them, but never sharing things that felt unsafe to share in that moment. Right. Were you, um, what, what were you like in school? You know, were you pretty, you said you were pretty shy and, you know, how were your grades and stuff like that? Oh, in high school, you mean? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say it was kind of split. I was someone who always believed in keeping their doors open. It was something an eighth grade counselor told me that just really stuck with me. Um, and so even when, you know, I went through a really hard time my sophomore year, like I said, it was when I didn't get reelected to student council, I didn't make the volleyball team. I was homeless. I was bouncing around living with all kinds of different folks. And I'd fallen in with a group of friends that was really not healthy for me. Um, and I was getting in trouble at every turn. I was getting in trouble with administrators and teachers and in my personal life. Um, it was really not a great time. Um, and in large part, it was because of my situation and the people I was surrounding myself with. Um, but all the same, I kept my grades up. I always did. I'm someone who school has always come very naturally to me. Um, and I've just been, been able to sort of like, you know, get through it. Uh, I am someone who hates school. Um, Mm -hmm. but who has always been good at, you know, test taking and good at time management and those skills have carried me through my academic career. Never a straight A student though. Never have I once gotten straight A's. Oh, really? Not until college. My first semester of college, I got straight A's for the first time. You know, after that town hall meeting, like going back to that, it kind of went viral on social media, right? Totally. Yeah. I think it got like 17 or 18 million views. Wow. What was that like? Oh, it was a mix of amazing and awful. Um, I was so, it was so unexpected, um, but also something I'd always been prepared for um, in a way. 
you know, when you're going through these trainings, you understand that the purpose of bird dogging, um, which means like going to your um, elected officials and sort of like putting these questions to them, pressing these questions to them in a public way, um, is to create this moment, right? To create this viral moment um, and get get media attention to it. So then you can put pressure on these public officials to like listen to constituents, to make a difference. Um, and so obviously <laughs> the purpose of doing this was to create a viral moment um, and then move that viral moment to create pressure. But I, I just was never sure it would be me, you know, and it's hard to prepare for 17, 18 million people having access to your life instantly. Right. Uh, and I don't think it's something that humans are built to have happen to them. I think that this is such a new phenomenon, the ability to be um, connected to so many people across the world with so many different perspectives um, all at once. Uh, this is something that it's unique to our generation to have grown up in a world where that is possible. Um, and I was so unprepared, but in so many ways had been preparing for that moment mm -hmm. um, through trainings and stuff. But it's every time I've gone viral since um, like one and a half more times. Um, and every time all I ever want to do is just hide in my room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you must feel like a ton of pressure for your next move, right? Because everyone's kind of watching you at that point. Um, you mean to say after the viral moment? Yeah. Um, you know, <sighs> I don't know if that's necessarily what I was feeling. I think I was feeling excited mm -hmm. to be able to like make such a difference. I felt scared that so many people had access to my life in a way that I had never, um, felt before. Mm -hmm. Um, and the next move, I wasn't. I wasn't even thinking about the next. I was thinking in the moment, you know, right. I got the CNN interview literally the next day. Um, and I was just sort of moving day to day through all of these requests and just trying to maximize the amount of difference I could make. Mm -hmm. um, but once I went to DC and was able to get into the offices of Congress people and senators and work to lobby them towards birth control access, expanding birth control access, um, then I really took the step back and said, what's next for me? And that was when I decided, you know, I deserve to go to college. I deserve to go to the absolute best college. And I want to go to Columbia University. Um, and that means leaving my home behind. But I want to leave an impact here. And that was when I started the El Rio Reproductive Health Access Project because I knew I wanted to leave an impact. Um, I knew I, I wanted to make a difference at a really local level. Um, and that was sort of my goodbye to my home. And it's been incredibly successful and continues to grow and expand now, run by um, a young woman who I think of very much as my little sister. Um, going back to social media, how would you say that you dealt with the hate? Because I know yeah. lots of people are quick to assume and criticize. Oh, for sure. Um, I think there's two different kinds of hate that I get on social media. I get, you know really out of the box sort of like uh criticism from people i've never met and never will meet and who may or may not be bots right um that sort of right wing uh rhetoric that comes for anyone who dares take a stand about abortion or birth control access or trump right um 
And so I get that sort of hate and that is really easy for me to block out, delete, block, whatever. Um, but there's also other kinds of hate that I get. Um, and I, I don't know if hate is necessarily the right word, but criticism that I get online um, from people who are on the same team as me. Um, and people often ask me what I think of people who do this kind of activism or is that real activism or what do I think about this person and the way they do their work? And I always say, I never talk down on someone for the way that they do their work. I uplift people who I think are doing great work and that's it. Um, I would never push down or talk down on the way um, someone else chooses to do their work. And I, I often experience people sort of critiquing the way I do my work um, or telling me the way I should do it. And, um, you know, I, I was also taught that other people's opinion of you is none of your business. Uh, and I stand by that on social media. I also mm -hmm. know that I have all the information about my life and am the most capable of making my own decisions, informed decisions about my life. Um, and that no matter how close people feel like they are to me, how, how much insight they feel they have into my life, I know best and I'm capable of making good decisions for myself. Um, and, you know, lastly, that I like doers, not talkers. Um, if you think you can go do it better, go do it better. I'm rooting for you. Um, but that's, that's sort of it. Right. Um, and so at this point, while all this is happening, are you still doing your work with Planned Parenthood? Cause I know you worked with them, right? Yeah. I mean, I will always, um, I'm a patient and an advocate. Um, and so I will always show up for Planned Parenthood. Uh, the way that I show up looks different now than it did then. You know, first it started out me showing up by just being a volunteer, tabling, you know, right. canvassing, that sort of thing. And then sort of more into the spokesmanship space where um, after going viral, I was dubbed by the Washington Post, the new face of Planned Parenthood. Um, and mm -hmm. it was a lot of like speaking and media um, and helping to really um, uplift the work that they were doing uh, by lending my story and my narrative in a way that could really be shared on the a widespread uh, platform. And now I've sort of, you know, I work with them a little bit less frequently, but I am um, always rooting for them. I always show up for them where I can, uh, whether that be speaking or, you know, different campaigns uh, or posting on social or showing up to rallies um, or, you know, showing love to their organizers who are still doing that on the groundwork. Um, mm -hmm. That's sort of how I engage with them now. So you you were like you said you're like the youngest uh social media planner staffer on the Kamal Harris campaign. How did yeah. how did that come along? Right. So I was the absolute youngest person in my headquarters um at 19 and would also say that I'm one of the youngest people uh to ever hold a leadership position of that of that rank um on any presidential campaign, right? Um, and right. so I was an influencer and surrogate strategist on her digital team, uh, full time out of her Baltimore headquarters. Um, and the way that that sort of came to be, I think was through manifesting, you know, from my, uh, I, I had my eye on this work. Uh, I knew that it felt like the world was on fire and I couldn't just sit by, um, and read Plato's Republic in my classroom, um, 
when I felt I had skills and experiences um, and a perspective that was necessary, needed, and could really make a difference in us taking down Donald Trump. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I sort of just kept putting this out into the universe that this is work I'd like to do, that I would like to be working um, in this election. And I cultivated a relationship with people close to the campaign. Um, and actually someone, someone had messaged me and asked, uh, do you know anyone who'd be interested in this position? And I didn't even think of myself. I said, you know, I had just moved into my dorm. I was starting my sophomore year classes. And I said, uh, I have some friends who just graduated. Let me check in with them and see if they'd be interested. And she said, well, have you thought about it? Would you be interested? And I was like, I hadn't thought about it. I felt like these were jobs that were only available to people who had graduated, who had degrees, right? Right. Um, And I said, no, I I hadn't thought about it, but let me think about it. And I immediately stopped unpacking my dorm, sat with it for a while, and knew that that was the right choice for me, that I I needed to be doing this work. Um, Yeah, and then I picked up my life and moved to Baltimore, a city I'd never been to before, uh, signed my very first lease and moved in to an apartment and got to work. Wow. Were you ever intimidated by it? Oh, I am always intimidated by these big choices. (laughs) I am a firm believer though, that the universe always has me where I'm meant to be. And that I'm always learning the lessons that I'm meant to. Um, I'm someone who has cultivated intentionally a very strong sense of trust and faith. Um, And it's carried me through uncertain times, a lot of rejections and a lot of successes. Um, And so I felt in my heart that it was the right choice to make. Um, I was all in it for this candidate. I love her through and through, support, stan, all of that. And um, I know that this election could not be more important. Um, for me, for my community, and I'm rooted in who I do this work for. Um, and I knew that this was the right choice, even if it was scary and hard. I knew it was a once in a lifetime choice. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, even though it was scary and it was hard. Um, and, you know, being a first generation college student, it's not easy to pick up and leave your the Ivy League university you've worked your whole life to get into behind. Um, mm. But I also knew that this fight was a big one and it's going to take all of us to win. Right. What was your experience at Columbia like? I didn't like it. Really? Um, I still, I'm actively deciding now um, as I sort of close out this gap year, if I want to transfer Um, again, as a first generation college student, I didn't have the same insight other people did when applying. Um, I had never even visited Columbia when I submitted my binding application. I didn't have the means to go all the way to New York from Arizona. Um, And so I didn't understand what the core curriculum would look like, how restrictive it would be um, for someone like me who has such varied interests, such unconventional interests academically. Um, And I had no idea the level of wealth I would encounter um, at a school like Columbia. I had just never seen it before. I'd never experienced um, people who were just so incredibly wealthy. Um, and the other piece that I just was not ready for um, 
was the sense of competition on campus uh, among people who felt like they should be on the same team, um, competing with each other uh, in so many different aspects, personally, professionally, academic. Um, I just was, I, I don't think I was prepared for that. Um, and so my experience at Columbia has been one, again, I'm someone who's never really liked school anyway. Um, mm -hmm. But it's been one that I am unsure if I uh, want to continue, though I love New York City. Um, and I've had some really amazing support systems at Columbia, like therapy for the very first time, um, or an amazing advisor who shows up for me, who's really invested in my success and roots for me, um, and even some great friends who um, I think will be in my life forever. But I'm just not sure that it's the best fit academically um, and that the campus culture um, is really the best fit for me. Do you think you're going to for sure finish college or are you oh. going to drop out? No, I'll absolutely finish. There's a sense of responsibility uh -huh. um, as the first person in my family to go to college and as someone who comes from a community and even a group of friends where so many of them didn't have the opportunity to pursue higher education, mm -hmm. right? I come from a community where higher education is not the norm. We're going to college is not the norm. We're going to an Ivy League university is out of the question, Um we're going to an Ivy League university is out of the question. Um, and I feel a deep sense of responsibility to bring that degree home to my community. Um, and I signed up to do this and I will finish. Uh, I will bring that degree back home and do good with it, um, even if it's hard. Where would you think about transferring to? Um, I'm considering Brown University. They have a, a really different academic structure. Um, in terms of their open curriculum. I'm sorry. They have a very different academic structure in terms of their open curriculum. Um, and so that's sort of where my consideration is. Mm, that's in New York too, or where, where is that? Rhode Island. Rhode Island, okay. Yeah, that's so cool. the trade-off is obviously that I'm not in New York, which is uh, a city that I love where I'm really able to thrive professionally. But um, I think that my academic experience might be more aligned with my my belief that so much learning happens outside the classroom. Right. What are you what are you currently working on? Yeah. So I'm the founder of Gen Z Girl Gang. Uh, we founded it back in April of 2019. So it's still sort of a baby. Um, and I'm really just working on I've cultivated an amazing leadership team of 10 young women across the country um, who do everything from social media management to partnerships um, to, you know, administrative work and applying to grants. Um, and right now I'm working on being the best leader I can be for them. Um, so that way we can show up for our community in a way that's authentic, in a way that's helpful um, to them and specifically the needs in their lives. Um, and that's really innovative and different and isn't just sort of, you know, this is how it's always been done. So let's do it that way. But instead, that's really um, in a way that's really pushing the envelope. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's what I'm doing now is just working on how I can be the best leader in that in that sense um, and how I can just be the best version of me. I'm really blessed to have this time period where I'm not in school where I'm not working this like full-time job. A campaign is like full-time and a half, mm -hmm. I swear. Um, 
And I'm really blessed to be in this space and to be in the financial situation where I can sort of take a step back and really prepare for what I think is going to be an incredibly exciting year um, and just get my head right, get myself into a space where um, I'm showing up as the best possible leader I can be for my, my leaders across the country, for the folks who watch me and who consider me a role model um, on social media or in my personal life, for the little sisters that I've cultivated deep relationships with, um, for my mom, for my friends, um, and for myself. Uh, and so I'm blessed to have this time to just really work on me. Uh, I also just recently signed to a speaking agency. So, um, you know, I do, I'm traveling across the country, um, speaking at schools and events, um, and getting to share my story and my perspective, uh, which there's really nothing that I love more, um, than Mm -hmm. being able to cultivate those kinds of relationships, um, and just like being able to share with others. Uh, and so that's what I'm doing now. Uh, and I'll be going back to school in the fall, uh, Mm -hmm. and this summer, there's some exciting plans in the works, um, that are not necessarily finalized, but, um, a lot of exciting possibilities. Right. Is activism a very, uh, shaky go with the flow type of job, I guess. Um, I'm somewhat, so when I was working on the campaign, uh, I was working nine to seven, Monday to Friday. Um, and I was working in an office space and I just, it's so, it was so incompatible with the way that I work best. Um, and I think that that's true for a lot of young people, that the way that we work, uh, is really evolving and changing. Um, and I'm someone who that's totally true for. I need work that's more um, more flexible. I really love to be able to work remotely, to be able to work on my own time and in spaces that are conducive for, for me. I have the hardest time I could, I literally never could sit at my desk from nine to seven. I always had to be moving around, taking walks, um, Mm. that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there's no better job to me though, um, than being able, um, to share my story. That's, that's the job that you know, regardless of what job I do, um, I always want to be doing sort of three things. That's sharing my story, building power in people and being a good role model. And right now for me, that means speaking um, and being the Gen Z girl gang leader um, that my leaders and my larger community um, are asking me to be. Uh, and all of that is is sort of like, it's working for me now. And I think what I need may grow and change, but it's what I need right now in terms of work. So how do you balance school, your personal life, and being an activist? Yeah. Also being like an influencer. Like how do you balance all of yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it all feels sort of separate uh, when you say it that way. But in so many ways, they all sort of overlap, right? Like uh, my activism work in large part shows up. Um, in my social media presence, right? Whether it's putting out calls to action to register people to vote or um, sending out to my larger social media community that there's this event or this way that they can get involved. Um, Also overlaps with like, you know, sometimes my school life overlaps with um, my activism life, whether that's like starting um, Columbia's very first 
first generation low income uh, housing community um, or, you know, working at the housing equity project where I would like volunteer um, for the overnight shifts at this ends homeless shelter in New York. Uh, I think there's so many overlaps, but where I really struggle to find balance, again, as someone who's who's very introverted, um, is how I balance my public and my private life um, and my like external and my internal world. And I find that sometimes all of those things that you named were sort of these external um, things, even like time with friends, right? Um, and I struggle more with doing all of this external work and I, I find time to do it, but where do I find time to cultivate an inner world um, that helps me be the best leader I can be, that helps me be the best friend I can be, that helps me be the best student I can be um, and really show up in my external world in a way that's authentic to me um, and is also, um, you know, uh, good for others um, and myself. So that's where I struggle to find balance mostly, but some things that really help me, um, here's where I'm going to lay down the, the super pro tips here. Uh, I've been using a planner since I was in seventh grade. Uh, I could literally tell you what I was doing any given day, going all the way back to the seventh grade. Um, and that is something that I need for my, for my mental. Like I, when there's something that's happening, um, I've got to write it down just so it's not all of it cluttering my mind. Um, mm -hmm. something else that I do, I have a routine in the morning. Um, I make my tea and as I'm sitting and drinking my tea, uh, I have a notepad in front of me where I write my to-do list. Um, and that to-do list, all I do when I'm drinking my tea, I don't work in any sense. I just write down what I need to do that day. Anything that pops into my head, you know, oftentimes when you're let your mind be quiet and you sort of relax, that's when all the things start to flood in all that. Oh, I forgot to do that. I forgot to text her back. I need to shoot that person an email. All the little things float to your mind. And so I sit there and all I do, the only action I take on those those worries is write them down on the notepad. And then after I've had my tea, I look at the notepad and I prioritize. I write one, two, and three. The one number one thing I need to get done, number two thing, number three thing. Um, and then I get to work and I do those things. And then I look at it again. I say, what needs to get done? One, two, and three. And I get to those things. Um and that's sort of how I organize my mind and how I organize my time. That sounds so productive. <laughs> that sounds really good. Yeah. Um, so I, you have some pretty cool like media articles. You know, you're Vogue's 21 and they're 21. Yeah. You're one of Nike's dream leader. What were those experiences like? You know, I often, I, I try to, I, I am struggling and learning I'm challenging myself with this lesson all the time. Um, I did this work without accolades like that. Uh, and it was fulfilling work. It was fulfilling to win at the school board level, right? Mm -hmm. um, for sex education. And that was before anyone was paying attention to the work I was doing. Um, and so I often try to remind myself that um, no matter what I, where I win, where I lose, um, my sense of worthiness is internal. And it is never derived from outside accomplishments, whether they are wins or losses. And so when I lose, it doesn't shake the way that I feel about myself. And when I win, when I get 21 or 21 or Dazed 100 or mm -hmm. um, a Planned Parenthood award, that doesn't shake my sense of worthiness either. It doesn't elevate it uh, falsely. 
because I know that my worthiness is inherent and it's something I've cultivated and regardless of accomplishment would be with me anyway. Um, and so I celebrate those things and I, I appreciate them for what they are. Um, but I know that they are not indicators of my worthiness. Um, mm-hmm. They're instead indicators uh, of, of good work that I've done. They're affirmative, they're validating. Um, and I appreciate them. But, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like uh, those things can be, uh, you know, there, there's something, there's a challenge in them to, to never letting them sort of inflate your sense of uh, self in a way that's artificial. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I, I celebrate them regardless because I also know that it's important to celebrate me and the work that I do and the team that's behind me constantly helping me achieve these things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those are moments for celebration and they can be a little bit intimidating. I, I definitely didn't set out to do those things. Um, they were never sort of like, um, things I had my eye on, but they were things that the universe brought into my life. Um, and that I accept welcome, uh, with open arms. And, uh, I'm grateful for the path that sort of I've been taken on. Right. So last thing, do you have any advice for young people who want to do something, want to make a change and kind of get involved in the whole activism route? Yeah. Um, I would say uh, your story is yours. You own it. Um, It belongs to no one but you. Um, And it is in every way yours to share um, or not share. Uh, but it's this really, it is a superpower. Your story, you are an expert in your own experience. You don't need a college degree. Uh, you don't even, you don't need a high school diploma to be an expert in your experience. And so own that in every way. Uh, when you step into a room, uh, whether that's a congressperson's office or to negotiate a salary, um, know that your perspective is unique. Uh, you're an expert in it, and it's what makes you really special. Uh, I, I challenge people to use storytelling and own their narrative um, to create change um, and to push themselves to share what is uncomfortable but not unsafe. Um, and, yeah, I, I think as young people, we, we have such a unique experience um, and that that really can be what sets us apart and makes us um, – special in this work uh, and informs so many um, of the decisions we make. And so many people right now are asking the question, especially as 2020 sort of looms, how do we engage young people? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the people that have the answer to that question are young people. Um, So go out there, own your story, own your perspective um, and go make change with it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking Thank the time you. to talk yeah, to us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's been really great to have you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Of course. Thank you.